Welcome to the Center for Grassland Studies podcast series. I'm your host, Margo McKendry, Program Coordinator for the Center. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Mark Liebig, Soil Research Scientist with the USDA Agricultural Research Service in Mandan, North Dakota. Thank you for joining me today, Mark. It's good to be here, Margo. Thanks. Now, currently, there is much conversation among policymakers and landowners and research scientists about grazing lands as carbon sinks. What has research by you and your colleagues shown concerning grazing lands potential for storing carbon? Yeah, the the research we've conducted here at the Northern Great Plains Research Laboratory for about the past 30 years suggests that grazing lands are, are a small sink for atmospheric CO2, which over time can contribute to fairly sizable carbon stocks in the soil profile, assuming they're not converted to a different land use. The measurements that were started really by Al Frank back in the early 1990s found that grazing lands in our region could take up, oh, about 260 pounds of carbon per acre per year. And I followed up with some measurements about a decade later, looking at changes in the soil and found a a slightly larger uptake rate, but it was still in the ballpark, right around 350 pounds of carbon per acre per year. And so this is good news. And while it is good news, it's important to consider that these rates are really pretty small when you consider the carbon stocks in grazing land soils. You know, in the soils where Al and I did our research, there's about 60 tons of carbon per acre just in the top two feet of soil. And that is a lot of carbon. These stocks are are significantly higher in grazing lands compared to other land uses on the same soil type. So, you know, it's clear from our research that the slow increase in carbon over time has contributed to a large carbon stocks in grazing land soils. How much does grazing management influence carbon sequestration? Let's say anything from stocking rates to type of grazing system. Yeah, that's a good question. One that I get a lot. You know, we've looked into the effect of stocking rates on soil carbon and our work suggests that the effects are largely concentrated at the soil surface. You know, we we have two long-term grazing treatments here at the research center, both that were started in 1916 that have a, a different stocking rate. One is more low to moderate level and the other one is, is high and that's continuous grazing. They're not rotated. But anyhow, what we found was that the, there was greater soil carbon in the top four inches of soil under the higher stocking rate compared to the lower stocking rate. And that, that was a difference that we attributed to a greater proportion in um, blue grama at that higher stocking rate. But, you know, it's interesting though, you know, when, when you look at the change in soil carbon over time for these two treatments, they're essentially the same. I measured carbon stocks in these practices using archive soils that allowed us to, to integrate across a 44-year time period. And we found that both of them were right around 350 pounds of carbon per acre per year. So it shows a couple of things. You know, it's important to see differences across the different depths in the soil profile, but you do have to track these things over time because just taking one single snapshot may not tell the whole story. You report that nitrous oxide and methane are greenhouse gases that contribute to net global warming. On grazing lands, do we need to be concerned about these two greenhouse gases as carbon dioxide? 
You know, I think we should be mindful of, of all three greenhouse gases. Just, you know, as management and affect the fluxes of these gases in, in different ways, and sometimes in ways we don't expect. And, and by considering, you know, all three, we can think perhaps more holistically about mitigation strategies and perhaps feel a bit more confident that what we're doing on the landscape, the intended effect on the overall greenhouse gas balance. And there's another point here, Margo, that's important, and you might be aware of this, but that the methane and nitrous oxide, there's actually structurally different at the molecular level than carbon dioxide. And those differences contribute to uh, considerably more heat trapping capacity in the atmosphere for methane and nitrous oxide. Now, if we take estimates of, uh, in the IPCC report for a hundred year time horizon, you know, methane is about 28 times more powerful at trapping heat than carbon dioxide. And nitrous oxide is, is a whopping 265 times more powerful. So, you know, what that means is that just a little bit of nitrous oxide can have a really big impact on the overall greenhouse gas balance of production systems. And so that's why we want to consider all of these greenhouse gases. Thank you. Does grazing management influence nitrous oxide and methane emissions on grazing lands then? It certainly can. You know, nitrous oxide emissions are very much enhanced by nitrogen fertilization. And, you know, even though fertilizing our grasslands isn't a common practice, we've measured it and found that you can have quite a bit higher nitrous oxides. In fact, the study that we did in the early 2000s found that uh, nitrous oxide fluxes were about three times higher in a crusted wheatgrass pasture compared to our historically native pastures. And so so it's important to consider that there's also some evidence to suggest that legumes in grazing lands may result in elevated nitrous oxide emissions, but the findings are, are mixed and, and so more, more research is needed. Now, on the methane side, methane flux in semi-arid grasslands is quite small, and, and it's actually dominated by uptake uh, from the atmosphere, which is a, it's actually a process that's mediated by a special bacteria in the soil that really thrive under dry conditions. Now, you know, there are instances when, when the soil can get wet and it becomes anaerobic, and then a different bacteria takes over that can actually cause methane emissions. But again, across our, our, our grazing lands, at least in the Western U.S., you know, the, the methane flux is largely an uptake process. And in my own research, you know, it, it happens consistently, but it's quite small. I mean, I, I'm, we're looking at just less than two pounds of carbon per acre per year, and there's been no effective treatment, meaning that it's stable across different stocking rates. Overall, are grazing lands sources or sinks of greenhouse gases? And what are grazing lands global warming potential? Wow. Well, this is a this is a broad question, as you might imagine. It's it's uh, it's it's difficult to generalize across you know all grazing lands in our region, given the differences in management and soils. Not to mention the you know the highly variable weather we enjoy in the Great Plains. You know, I, I think it, it's safe to say that we're both. You know, depending upon all these factors that are within and, and also outside of the control of the producer. You know, uh, on the management side, we have to consider the plant community, the stocking rate, the grazing management, along with any outside inputs that may contribute to changes in greenhouse gas balance. You know, on the weather. Anything that affects productivity, so your precipitation, your temperature, you know, they're critical, but also extremes in weather, like extended drought. And then there's, you know, all the attributes that are associated with landscape and soil type. And these things together can combine to affect the global warming potential, meaning that outcomes can be very site-specific and can vary from year to year. 
Now, that's probably not the answer you were hoping for. And I wish I could make it simpler. But what I'll do, I can tell you from my own research up here, you know, in North Dakota, I found that the grazed mixed grass treatments that we had here at the research station had a negative global warming potential, meaning that there was net uptake of greenhouse gases over time. And, you know, when we expressed our results per unit of animal production, which is, uh, it's called actually greenhouse gas intensity. But when we expressed it on a per unit of animal production, we found that the greatest uptake of greenhouse gases was in our moderately grazed treatment. Uh, this is really important. These findings show that even after we accounted for the methane emissions from the cattle and the fluxes, you know, of the other greenhouse gases, you know, cattle on grass with a, with a moderate stocking rate offered a valuable mitigation benefit. These results, they, you know, contrast sharply with some of my other evaluations that I've done on cropland where the treatments almost always result in net emissions of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. You know, the, the cropland side is a whole different story, but, but on the grazing side, we've seen a net uptake of greenhouse gases. So Mark, in your opinion, do we have the knowledge of grazing lands and the dynamics of greenhouse gases needed for public and private organizations to develop programs for climate mitigation? And if so, what might these programs look like? Hmm, that's a difficult question. It's somewhat outside of my scope, you know, um, but I'll give it a try. You know, now as, as a field scientist who, who generally avoids modeling activities, you know, just take my comments with a grain of salt. But th that said, I think, you know, I, I guess it would kind of depend upon your expectations uh, for, for accuracy for climate mitigation services, you know, because it, it's impossible to measure all scenarios. So we have to rely on models. If we're looking for, you know, site specific estimates in real time, then I would say that we have a, a long way to go with the science to support accurate outcomes. However, if we're open to some variance in these estimates, we can likely model reasonable values in climate mitigation services. Because these, these models are getting better all the time, due mainly to the increasing number of field studies that generate valuable data for calibration purposes. Now, as for the, the programs themselves, you know, I, I think it would depend upon, you know, the goal of the sponsoring organization. Some organizations are, are very, very much focused on, you know, climate mitigation services, while others tend to, to bundle ecosystem services so you can, you know, have climate mitigation. But you may be thinking about some other valuable attributes that are commonly, uh, you know, provided by grazing lands. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this topic before we get ready to close out our session? Yeah, you know, I, I think if I were to add anything else, you know, there, there's, you know, part of my research portfolio has been focused on, you know, measuring these greenhouse gases over the past 20 or so years. But another part has, you know, focused on looking at the soil health, you know, the changes in the soil properties over time and, and so forth. And one, one thing that I've always been impressed with, with, you know, by perennial agriculture, which is, of course, grasslands are part of is, is that, you know, you often see, you know, improvements in the functioning of the soil, be it, you know, physically, chemically, or biologically. I think that that's a, it's a real valuable attribute because what, what it means, at least in the context of, of our grazing lands, is that research shows that they can provide a, a mitigation benefit, but by also, you know, improving and, and maintaining soil health over time, they can also also provide an important adaptation uh, service to, related to climate change. And so I, I think it's important to, to consider both. Again, Mark, I really appreciate you taking time to chat today. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity, Margo. Now, Mark will be giving a November 22nd presentation entitled Climate Mitigation Services from Northern Plains Grasslands as part of the Center's Fall Seminar Series. To learn more about this series or how you may participate, 
go to grassland.unl.edu. Thank you for listening.